Welcome to Between the Waves, the podcast all about how to create sustainable mental health to help you find a little bit of space between your waves. Hey everyone, it's Hannah here. Today I'm joined by Kelly Robinson Key. Kelly is a poet Hi. that hasn't studied English since school, but found a passion writing rhyme after her two children were born. Kelly suffered with postnatal depression for five years before finding poetry. Writing has helped her overcome struggles and find a way through dark times. And Kelly now writes to help other people, to encourage, give inspiration and to motivate. Hi Kelly, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> oh good, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm really excited to speak to you. Your Instagram is amazing. It's one of those little pockets of joy I find when I pop online occasionally. Oh, it's nice for you to hear that because that's hopefully what I aim for. So. <laughs> in the hard day yeah definitely and just a little bit of joy which is really nice so I'm going to ask we're we're back into the kind of back to school it's autumn things are settling in how how are you doing after lockdown and all the changes yeah it's okay I mean my son um he has complex needs so he's gone from being at home for nearly six months straight into full-time school so that's been really difficult for him Ultimately, it makes it difficult for everybody, really. But he's getting there and the new school is in. It's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, we're settling quite well now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's been it's been tricky having that constant at-home feeling for everybody to yeah. then change straight back into full-time outside of the house. I think my kids have struggled with that a little bit too. Although they're loving the change of scenery, I think. They're... Yeah, I think six months at home was too long for everybody. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, oh, good, I get to see people other than you. This is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think they get a bit fed up with your face, don't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so Kelly, can you tell us about your journey with postnatal depression? Yeah, so my son, as I mentioned just now, he's um, he was born 10 weeks early. He was born as I preeclampsia, so he's the umbilical ward actually stopped working, so they did emergency C-section and I was under general, so I was asleep for the whole thing. And then we spent a good seven weeks in hospital. I was pretty much alone the whole time. My husband was struggling to get time off work and I didn't have any family or anything uh, supporting me. So that time was really difficult. And then for the next 18 months, I was in and out of hospital. And I was quite alone through the whole process. And then because I couldn't return to work, we were forced to move away from family We ended up moving 200 miles from all family and friends um, so I could stay home because we couldn't afford to live where I was living in Essex. So we decided to move to Wales where I knew a couple of people here. But ultimately, I was alone bringing up my son, who at the time I didn't know, but he has a lot of complex needs. He has um, autism, uh, which he has uh, PDA, SPD, which is all sensory stuff, OCD, and he also has a lot of dietary needs. So I spent a year and a half after moving here. My um, my daughter came along as well, and she was born with something called RAS. And that is where uh, it's called response to anoxic seizures. And basically, they have seizures when they're scared or in pain. And that was really difficult as well, because she'd have about eight seizures a day from wow. months old. So... I was trying to deal with that, trying to learn about my son who was starting to show struggles in communication and he extreme anxiety a lot of the time would struggle with simple tasks like brushing his teeth or 
putting clothes on, even getting out of bed, taking a struggle with it, or walking from the house to the car, any sort of um, transition he can struggle with. So my husband was working 50 hours, he still works 50 hours a week, but I was completely alone, uh, completely at home on my own. And I was really struggling. I tried to go to baby groups and things, but even though I met lovely people, they didn't understand what was going on, didn't understand that we've got nobody and it's just my husband and I family visit once or twice a year but that's it and I was trying to deal with learning what was going on with my son as well as trying to look after my daughter who was ultimately going out to test at the hospital but she was having tests for epilepsy it was quite a scary time and I put myself on like at the back of the queue of everything and I was kept I was like the cog that didn't stop in the family I just kept going and going and going and I was still doing all the housework I was trying to work out how to earn a living from home so I went, I did all sorts of things from photography to candle making, even though I was qualified as an environmental scientist and I was going down that route before my son was born. I then had to completely switch up and change the route I was going down to try and get an income from home because I knew that I wasn't able to be employed. We have no childcare. So I had to try and focus on finding something at home. And then a couple of years went by and we got married and bought a house in the same year. And this is when I noticed that my mental health was really, really not in a good place. So basically trying to look after the children, the house, my husband working a lot. He was also rushed in hospital a couple of times and having absolutely no help was just too much. And I say have all these horrible negative thoughts all the time. I didn't really tell anybody. I felt like I was screaming, but when I speak to people, they're like, you didn't say anything. And I think I didn't want to put that burden on people. I didn't want to be shamed because I was struggling. I wanted, everyone else was coping okay. Everyone else was able to work and look after their children. And some people didn't have any help. And I didn't realize at the time how much my children needed me because of their difficulties. So I ended up in October after we'd got married, I was driving to pick up my husband from work. And this is when I knew I needed to seek some kind of help because I was driving along. I just felt like I wanted all the noise to stop. And I always read up about how suicidal people or people that have suicidal thoughts are attention seeking. And it's not that case at all. I wanted everything to stop. I didn't want attention. That was the last thing I wanted. I had enough attention for my children. I didn't want attention. I didn't really want to talk to anyone. I just wanted all the noise in my head to stop. And I drove and I swerved to drive off a bridge. But an image of my son popped in my head. And luckily, I didn't keep going. And I stopped and I cried. And then that night, I broke down to my husband. And I told him everything, what I'd been feeling. And I thought telling him would burden him as well. But it did the complete opposite. And he actually really helped me recover and come through it all. And he taught me techniques of how to stop the negativity. And yeah, so that's where I went with my I mean, that's that's a hell of a journey. I mean, oh my goodness. I didn't realise I even had it for a long time. And it isn't until I've come out of it that I see how bad I was. Yeah. For a long time. And you just, as I think as a parent to two small children, without the, um, uh, the additional needs and things... You just keep going and going and going and you think everyone else is coping. You can cope too, but you can't. <laughs> you need help. Yeah, and I think that's so true, isn't it? In terms of thinking about that everybody else is coping. 
because what I learned when I discovered I had postnatal depression and I started talking to people about it was that everyone else isn't coping you know they've all got stuff going on people are struggling with feeding their children or struggling with getting out of the house or you know everyone's got something that they're struggling with and whilst that doesn't help you it does kind of let you know that you're not alone and that you're not a complete failure as postnatal depression will have you totally convinced that you're an absolute failure as a mother and that everyone else can do it why can't you don't be ridiculous you know all of those kind of unhelpful thoughts it's a feeling of being alone in it as well you feel feel like just going through it nobody else understands but actually if you talk to other people I mean you do get the odd person who does get a lot of support and doesn't seem to struggle as much of course you would get that person but you'll find that even that person will have some sort of struggle and I think talking about it I should have done a long time ago because I'm happy to talk about it especially now and I was happy to talk about it while still recovering but before that point I think I felt ashamed and I didn't want other people to judge me in that light especially as trying to be this strong woman I think that's what every woman wants isn't it you always want people to see you as this strong independent woman that can cope (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we can we can go into the all the ills that is wrong with society that make us think that way. Yeah. Um, and and but it's so true. We feel like we have to cope with everything by ourselves because otherwise we're weak or we're not deserving of what we've got. And that's just so not true. You know, that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And it really does. It you does. Know, it does support and conversation I think the thing that really turned the tide for me was talking to people about it and saying do you know what this is really hard I am really struggling these things are not fun you know having a tiny baby who screams all the time or whatever the situation is it's not fun it's really bloody hard work and it's so hard especially your first one as well you just don't know what's coming and they don't stop crying and you're alone. You don't realize how lonely you become because you don't go out as much and you don't, no one really comes around. At the start. It all come around at the start and then that's it. And yeah. And you're talking to this tiny person all day who never talks yeah. back. You don't get anything <laughs> back from them. They just kind of stare at you or cry. And it's, it's really lonely. Yeah. And I think that's the worst part, isn't it? Is how lonely it is. And I think, Podcasts like you're doing is so important to raise that awareness of knowing that there are many of us that feel the same and many of us that are in the same boat as well. And Yeah, and, and for me, antenatal classes need to tell you this stuff, you know? Yeah. You need to have, this needs to be out in the world so that when you're expecting or when you're trying for a baby, you know, part of the conversation with everybody you speak to is, right, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. These are some of the things that can happen. This is how you might feel. It's okay. We can do these things to support you. Just be upfront about that conversation and not just go, oh, well, you know, this is a really natural thing. Women have been giving birth for, you know, thousands <laughs> of years. It's, it's all fine. People do it in fields. Just crack on. So I think the worst thing that people used to say to me was, oh, we've all been there. Oh, okay, that's, that's really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Why did nobody bloody say then that this is really hard if you've all already been here? You know, please help me. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it, but you can, you can, it feels like you're screaming at people. And, but I think they just think, oh, you're just having a bad day. And it's like, no, this is, this is every day. This is every minute of my day. This is what's going on. Sometimes you just, I think you, you can talk to the wrong people that don't fully understand your situation. 
But actually, I found a lot of people have understood it, haven't even been in my situation, but they've been the most like kind and caring. But yeah, it's, it's hard to if you have if your family aren't supportive, it's hard to find people that are. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to have that confidence to speak up, isn't it? If if you've grown up in that atmosphere of kind of not being supported or not being able to speak your truth and ask for help, it's really hard then to think that other people might be willing to help you because you've grown up with no help. And yeah, I imagine it's the same if if you get lots of help, but at the same time, it's not the help you want. That must be quite difficult as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, loads of very well-meaning people coming in with their toxic yeah. positivity and, you know, just <laughs> telling you, oh, it, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Just you just keep going. It'll, it'll all work itself out. You know, this is just a phase. Just like, that's really oh, unhelpful. There's such helpful comments, aren't they? <laughs> oh, it literally yeah. gets to the point where either someone notices your struggles or you do. And I, I think if you, are, if you do know someone that's got small children try and see how they are doing because that mum may not even notice I mean I didn't notice for five years how much I was struggling and I think I had it from the moment my son was born because of how traumatic his birth was and then my daughter even though her birth was wonderful I mean she's kind of like superwoman and (laughs) but having her naturally after being so traumatic my son was wonderful and she was very easy baby she didn't start a seizure till she was six months I guess that's it isn't it for me the biggest turning point was when I realized that I wasn't very well and that nobody really fundamentally could fix it for me yeah Um, is that I have to find a way to cope with this and I have to find a way to live my life isn't it like how do you cope it I've been I'd actually did some work yesterday with an amazing charity um pandas oh yeah I didn't even know about them. I didn't even know, to be honest with you, I didn't even know much about mind or anything. I ended up phoning mind after researching them. But I feel like when you're in hospital and having your baby, whether it's your first or second or third, maybe there needs to be something given to you, not just leaflets, because half the time you just can't even find like function to read the leaflets in hospital. But maybe just a midwife or some somebody on the nursing team or something come up to new mums and be like say if this is how you're feeling this is happening these are the phone numbers you can call have it as a magnet you can stick on your fridge or something and because I didn't even know about that I had no idea no and actually I came across pandas completely by chance and it was from a really well-informed health visitor who when I was in the sort of the depths of my postnatal depression she would come and sit with me every day and just check in on me and see how we were getting on Um, and she mentioned pandas and I ended up starting a support group because there was nothing locally and I so desperately wanted to feel less alone and to talk to other people who are going through hard things so you know she helped me to kind of get started with that and oh that's wonderful yeah and it's kind of the precursor to this really you know and and all the other things that I've done because it just made such a difference to me to be able to you know I wasn't fixed you know I wasn't 100% well but I started a group because I was like this is really hard other people must be finding this hard let's just share the burden together and see if we can learn from each other and support each other and that probably helped so many people as well and it definitely helped me completely but what I'm really interested in is how did you discover that writing poetry was the thing that would help you so I've been I didn't even know this until my mum showed me, but I've been writing um, <laughs> rhyming stories since I was small. And then I went into sort of environmental science and wildlife conservation. 
So I did that. And that was my goal. That was where I was aiming to go. Um, and the fact that I had to give up on that was really hard. And um, but then when my son, he was probably about two, I started writing little stories for him and little rhymes and things. And then when I was really struggling with, uh, when I broke down to my husband, that night he told me, why don't you write down your thoughts? And I would constantly write down little poems and send them to him on WhatsApp. And it's just, it's just the way I just, I don't know, I communicate by writing in rhyme. I don't know why. That's amazing. It's just, it's just easier. I find it easier to write down things. And it, it's ridiculous. I write shopping lists now and I start rhyming. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I, he was like, just write it down and, and send them to me or just write them down. And, keep them. and I used to send them to him because it was my way of communicating with him without me sitting down and having to talk about everything, which I already found hard. I was already exhausted at the end of the day and then have to like tell him how I was feeling as well. That was, it was just too much for me. So I would write these little rhymes and send them to him and he would know how I was feeling that day. And, and then it got to the point, he was like, you need to share these. These could help other people as well. So I started to share them on my Facebook page and I got encouraged to open a page. And then I was doing sort of wildlife education stuff and I do wildlife art and things. So eventually I'm going to do educational poems as like my packs of cards is going to be more educational. But I was sharing these poems anyway. And the more I wrote, the better I felt. I would just, it felt like my brain was just releasing all this built up energy inside me every time I wrote. So every time I was just feeling anxious and sitting down and I could feel my anxiety rising and I just write everything down. And it was like, it was on paper and out of my head and everything was just calm. And then I started to share it. And I got people, so many people coming forward saying it helped them. And I mean, at one point, even now it can be even even more than this, but at one point I get about 100 messages a week from people saying they help them. And I always encourage everyone, even though I sell my poems, I always encourage if you're struggling, screenshot it and keep it. Because all I want to do is help other people. And if one poem can resonate with them that day and make complete turn their day around and make them feel better I want them to have that with them like even if they write it down and do anything they want tattoo it to themselves if they like just have it around you so it can like help you because I still read my poems now I will sit there if I'm having a bad day and I'll read them and I'll go through them but I do feel better writing than I do reading I feel reading gives me that little bit of boost I need but writing it I feel like gives me so much more it's so fabulous that you found something that really works for you and, and helps you to calm some of the noise in your head. Yeah, I think being creative in anything, I, I do hooping, I'm terrible at it, but I hula hoop. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm really anxious, I'll write and hoop because it just like my body has energy as well that I need to release. And I think if you are struggling mentally, it doesn't matter if you're bad at it. It doesn't matter if you can't dance, you can't sing. It doesn't matter. Just do something that releases you, find an empty field, do it in the back room when the kids are asleep, like do something that just gets this energy out because a lot of time it's just built up energy and it turns into just negative thoughts and you just need to get it out. Yeah, absolutely. I really like uh, the Rachel Hollis quote that is move your body, change your mood. And that's definitely something that I try and yeah I just try and weave that into my day. You know, if I, you know, I don't always sleep very well and I, you know, I'll often get up and just be exhausted. And I, I use spoon theory to kind of judge how I'm doing that day, you know, how many spoons have I got to spend today? And how, how many spoons is it going to take for me to do the day to day stuff today? Because some days, just kind of getting out of bed and brushing my teeth can use like, nearly all of my spoons. But that move your body change your mood. 
just swings it a little bit for me if I can expend the spoons to move my body often that will help me to get more spoons to get through the rest of the day yeah well my son because my son has um he has all sorts of difficulties and one of the things his occupational therapist says is so he'll be released he'll be using that energy so in things he does it can be anything it can literally just be putting his shoes on that can be five points and then um going to school being at school day could be 100 points that'd be his extreme so it's taking all of his energy away so you know that as soon as he's come out of school he's minus in energy and you have to build it doing things that he enjoys so he will um a lot of time he'll sit and play games or will go being out in nature is probably the best thing for him i mean he struggles initially but once he's out and enjoying it he it does wonders i mean he can be good for a couple of days after if we go for a good walk and so it's just like replacing the energy you've used up on doing things that you're anxious about. You then replace doing things that you love and gives you comfort. And so dancing would be amazing. That putting music on that you love and just dancing that just replace so much of the energy that's lost. Yeah, definitely. And I spoke to Cassandra Farron a, a few kind of episodes ago, um, and she's an author. So we were talking a lot about how she writes to help her mental health and to process things. Yeah. Um, and she said, I have dance parties in my kitchen every day. You know, <laughs> that is how I set myself up for a good day or I deal with something bad that's happened. And I, it just is such a fabulous idea, isn't it? Just... I, I pretty much do that at dinner time. I'm cooking dinner, I put the music on. And I just dance around the kitchen. My husband then gets in from work and he joins in as well. We end up just dancing all together. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> because that was like dinner, cookout, dance. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So how do you continue to use your writing then to keep your mental health in balance? If you're having a tough time, do you do more writing, for example, or a different type of writing? How does that work? Yeah, well, I find that when my anxiety is really high and it can be all different points of the year earlier on in the year before lockdown things even before I think with um the pandemic I was in a really I was having a difficult time um, I wasn't getting any support from the school and he's been there now in a new school and it was really really difficult we just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and there's only so much fight you can have and I was really struggling and um I remember I probably was writing about 30 40 poems a day and sometimes they're positive but most of the time it was just like it wasn't negative thoughts but it was kind of like just expressing how I was feeling at the time and um sometimes I share it a lot of time I don't share this because I don't want to share negativity with people that follow me I want them to feel more positive but I also want them to know it's okay to have these thoughts so I do share them every now and then how I'm feeling I will share and sometimes they can help more than positive posts um but I struggle because it's kind of a private thing as well so I don't like to share them all um but yeah when I'm struggling I write the most and sometimes when I'm really happy I struggle to write which is funny <laughs> so can, I'm like I'm in really, really good mood let's try and sit down and get a load of positive poems out and I'm sitting there thinking I actually can't write right now <laughs> that's the time to just go and enjoy the good mood isn't it that's, that's pretty much I draw a lot then that's when I mainly draw I find it hard to draw when I'm struggling but writing it just it flows really easily I love that you've got the two sides you know you've got that balance really well you've got something creative that helps you when you're struggling and something creative that you can channel your good positive energy into when things are a bit easier that that's just a really healthy balance isn't it it's brilliant <laughs> what, what's funny is I'm I never thought I was a creative person I mean 
But then when I think back, I pretty much failed science in school and got a B in, which is my highest grade. I was terrible in secondary school. And I got B in art, which was my highest grade. But all the time, I was like, I'm not creative at all. I, and my English was my other highest grade. And I said, like, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. Yeah, I think I'm more creative than I ever thought I was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's great that you kind of know yourself really well now and you you know how to help yourself and you know that you know you need that creativity and you need to be out in nature and and all of those things to help support yourself and it's taken years to learn that though it's not it's uh, if you're young if you're in your age even if you've been doing something for years you can sometimes not know who you are and what you love because you've just been stuck on this treadmill of going forward and what you think you're supposed to be doing you can completely lose stuff but then I feel like I have my children going through mental health issues and things I've actually found myself more now than I ever have yeah I feel exactly the same and I it makes me really sad and quite angry that this isn't the focus for young people you know we're so busy pushing them into classes and grades and statistics when actually we should be teaching them to find out who they are and what works for them and what good balance looks like in their lives you know that's that's the stuff that's going to save them later on and not a blimmin' maths GCSE who's used that since (laughs) well I I was taught I mean I did really poor in second school we moved house a lot and ended up losing all of my work and things so yeah, I did really poor in sexual school. And then the whole time through school and then college, I was told, you're never going to get a degree. You're never going to be successful because I couldn't get these grades that they kept telling me. And I was, I was determined. I'm very determined. And I was like, I can do it. But my memory is so, like I said, I procrastinate. My mind just goes off all the time. And I really struggle to focus and things just don't stay in my mind very well. So I'd always fail exams. And then, but I met this, um, I went for an interview at the at Plymouth University. I was so determined. I didn't even get the right grades, but I was determined to go. So I went for this interview and I met this man and he, he was the leader of my course. And he saw my determination and he saw my passion and he was like, I need you on my course. He's like, I don't care what you've got. So he took me on to the degree that's how I, I was just I was like I'm doing this and ended up getting a 2-1 in environmental science because it was mainly a coursework degree luckily the exams I think I failed most of the exams but it was only a small percentage if it was all coursework I probably would have got a first but yeah I just I'm you can't I think the education system really needs to change and it shouldn't all be about grades don't really mean anything especially in today's world you can do anything you want without that unless you want to do some sort of like if you want to be a doctor or things and you, you do need the education side so science feels like you need the education side but there's so much more you could do without it yeah absolutely and the younger that we learn what makes us tick and what works for us you know the more time we've got to focus on those passions and get where we want to be within that field without wasting time on stuff that is just gonna make us ill frankly I mean the amount of people I met at university I mean I was studying environmental science because I desperately wanted to do wildlife documentary production I wanted to be next David Attenborough that was my dream amazing <laughs> and uh, so I worked really hard towards that goal and I was actually getting somewhere then my son was born but the amount of children at uh, children, the amount of um teenagers I met at uni and 18 19 year olds who were like, oh, I'm doing an English degree, but I don't even know why. I don't like English, but I didn't know what to do. So why don't you take time out and learn what you want to do before? There's so many years you've got ahead of you. You don't need to, I think we're just taught that we need this, this by this point and this, this by this point. And that can be so bad for mental health. Yeah, it's just that conveyor belt, isn't it? You know, 
you, you get to five, you start school, you go free school, you've got to do your SATs, you've got to do your GCSEs, you do your A-levels, you go to university, you get married, you have kids, you settle down, you get a job done, you know? That's life. <laughs> and Yeah, absolutely. And that's the conveyor belt that we are putting people on. And it's, it's not a conveyor belt I like to be on. <laughs> no, it's awful. I, I did exactly that, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know, and I've I still don't know. I just like <laughs> <laughs> as soon as it comes. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I went to university and I, I did a, a random degree that I I really enjoyed, but didn't lead anywhere. Um, what was it you did? Politics and international relations. Oh, my eyes are falling asleep in my politics lecture. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I couldn't do politics. Was it good though? I really enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it, and it for me, I can, I think it, it fed that part of me that is angry, that activist, that I need to fix stuff. You know, the world is broken. I want to fix it, and yeah. that's the bit that that's what's led me to where I am now you know I've got a day job and in my day job I fix stuff you know I deliver change I make stuff better and then I'm doing this podcast because I think the support for mental health is broken and I want to fix it and I've started a charity to also try and fix mental health for me that's been a really bumpy journey to get to this point because there were none of those opportunities when I was at school to really explore the options you know there was nothing I mean environmental science is I believe now part of them a GCSE but when I was at school it was basic math English science we got I think our exciting um lessons were health and social care and business which I wish I'd concentrate a bit more on business I might be better at it now <laughs> <laughs> no we had nothing that I enjoyed at all I absolutely hated it I I got angry when I was at school because I was like, I don't want to be doing... I just wanted to learn about wildlife. I just wanted to be outdoors. And I just really wanted to be David Attenborough. <laughs> That's a great life goal. I love that. It's magic when you've got that passion, isn't it? And we need... Yeah, well, this is the thing. I feel like mine's changed now because even though I've actually... Done, I've taken the path that I didn't want to take, even though I love it now, I didn't want to be at home with my children going to work, coming home, cooking. I didn't want that. I saw my parents struggle through it and, and I saw how unhappy they were with it. And I was thinking, I don't want that for me. And But you're not given that opportunity. You're not given that light at school. Or I imagine there's so many people around the world who are told, this is your life. This is what you've got to do. This is our path. And I want to be able to do things, be on TV. I'd love to be on TV, although I don't know if people don't see me on TV. But I'd love to do shows and I'd love to do radio shows and I'd love to go into schools and talk to people and be like, this doesn't have to be your life. You don't have to do ABC. You can go and do whatever you want. You just need to to have that passion inside of you. If you have that inside of you, say no to those that are telling you you have to do that. And I think it's fighting against society and a system that we're told we have to conform in is really tricky. But just giving that little spark from somebody could be enough for that person to completely change their life. And that's, I think that's now what I want to do. I just want to inspire people to be like, no, I don't have to do this. I can, it's my life. I can do what I want. I can go and rescue turtles in Greece. I can go and fly planes. I can do anything. You just, you've got to have that determination, I think, and having that initial spark would really help. That is absolutely fantastic. I fully support that you need to do that. The world needs more of you doing that, definitely. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think a lot of people would like to listen to me do that, though. A lot of people, I think, would prefer it if there was no change. (laughs) 
Yes, and they're the people that we need to work hardest on <laughs> because yeah, they're the people that are causing the problem, aren't they? And I, I think that's definitely. I think even though it's, it's, I still want to help the environment and help wildlife, but you can't do that without helping people first. Yeah. That might, you, you need the change in society before you see the change in the environment. Absolutely. Well, you know, together we can change the world. It's fine, Kelly. We'll just crack on. <laughs> we, need, we need to do it together. <laughs> and also, I've also become far more of a feminist, I think, and I want to support so many women's rights and support women in business and things who, who don't get the opportunities that men get. And I think that's really starting to come through with me now as well. Yeah, me too. I'm discovering that as I get older, I'm, I'm only getting angrier about things like that. Yeah. And- <laughs> I, I you know I find myself ranting to my husband about the fact that you know I currently do a full-time job in part-time hours and I'm paid but a part-time wage I just yeah. think that's ridiculous <laughs> no my, my poor husband you must get so sick of me I'm from work and I'm like this has happened to like yeah and like yes but these people this 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 he's like Kelly it's nothing to do with you I'm like yeah but I'm really happy about it <laughs> absolutely and I think, I think that's my good like a quiet life <laughs> anger is good for me definitely anger is my biggest kind of catalyst for change when I get really angry about something that's when I get stuck into fixing it yeah <laughs> so that brings me neatly to the last I feel like question we need a cup of tea we need to meet up with a cup of tea <laughs> we definitely do I think we could absolutely spend a day setting the world to rights we could change the world <laughs> let's do that <laughs> we'll, we'll book it in <laughs> you're free next Thursday <laughs> yes sign me up (laughs) so what is your change one thing for when people are feeling really overwhelmed by all the things that we've just said are wrong with the world and they want to change one thing to help themselves feel better what would you suggest okay so we spoke about this earlier and that we can often think about wanting to change too much at once and to be honest if people are feeling overwhelmed there's only ever one thing that I tell them to do and you don't have to do this part first, but I always say make a cup of tea because I tea saves. Tea was like just solves every issue. You need yeah. a cup of tea and just sit outside. If it's raining, sit under an umbrella, sit in your car. You need to sit outside, listen to the birds, listen to the rain, smell the air, just change what you're doing in that moment. Rather than thinking about future changes, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you need to change what's happening in that exact moment. So you change your thought process. So if you're thinking negative thoughts, think about something you love. I love horses and I love the ocean. So I instantly go to those two things. Sit up, you literally sit outside. That's the one thing you should always change is you need air, fresh air, fresh air and nature sounds. That is perfect. What a fabulous way to end a brilliant conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kelly. I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you today. And let's definitely meet up and change the world. (laughs) We need to do that. (laughs) Thanks, Kelly. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget, if you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast during October, you'll be in with a chance to win a fabulous yin yoga experience, either in person or online with Core Stories Yoga. See you next time.